Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. Today, it's a full house again. Seth Rodney, Stephen Fullwood, how are you gentlemen? Howdy like, howdy like. Hey, what's going on? Happy to be here. Uh, so thankfully this week, uh, we're talking to people again. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> two weeks ago we had, uh, our first discussion on fathers and Seth, uh, suggested towards the end that, that we pick it back up for a part two because we were getting to some meaty stuff. And I think we all were pretty enthusiastic about that. And Steven, you closed, uh, you closed the podcast by saying that you had a great response to Seth's question. So I, I'm going to invite Seth to, to reframe what he asked. And then Steven, if you want to just take us in and give us the great answer so the question i posed it towards the end of the the last uh podcast on fathers which was the week before last uh was we got to this point where we sit where we recognize that they were that our fathers in various ways travis is so less than 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 perhaps um steven's father or my father um didn't really have a grasp a full a, a complete grasp of the fact that they didn't have certain tools for child rearing and didn't know that those tools existed and didn't even and therefore didn't know how to get them. So my question was, if you don't even if you're in a position where you don't even realize that there are such things as tools in your tool belt for rearing a child, um, how do you go about turning that corner? How do you go about realizing that need and then going out and finding those tools? Mm hmm. Well, the answer I had two weeks ago, I've been able to sort of augment it since then. But the first thing that came to my mind when you when you suggested that stuff or asked that question was um, for for fathers to ask themselves, and it's a presumptuous, um, it's based on a presumption. Why does it hurt? Why does mm. it hurt? Why does it feel awkward? Why does it? Mm. Look at your relationship to your own father. If your father was in the picture, look at your relationship mm -hmm. to other men um, mm -hmm. directly, you know, direct contact with other men in terms of who you work with, who are your friends. Mm -hmm. You know, really start to look at the ways in which you understand being a man, you know, because I think mm -hmm. that goes to the core of it. Um, mm -hmm. What I was able to do, because I, I, so I was a part of a panel discussion this past Tuesday at NYU. It's a re, mm -hmm. um, the republication of Bal James Baldwin's first and only children's book, Little Man, Little Man. Mm -hmm. And it was published in 1971, so it's like 47 years now. <laughs> and his, the book is about his nephew, TJ, who happened to be there, who lives in France, but also came with his family, gave a really yeah. wonderful um, kind of personal take on, wow, I asked my, um, my, my Uncle Jimmy to write a book about me, and he did. And so one of the things that we talked about um, in the conversation was this idea of innocence, which um, made me think of an essay by James Baldwin called The Preservation of Innocence. And in mm -hmm. this essay, he talks, he frames what it means to be an American ideal, you know, in terms of masculinity mm -hmm. and femininity, and how these roles mm -hmm. have effectively locked us out of who we really are, right? Mm -hmm. And so I posted something on Facebook just a moment ago, and I, referring to the previous conversation about fatherhood. Mm -hmm. And so there's a line from the essay that really caught me, which is, what are we to say who have been already betrayed when this boy, this girl, discovers that the knife which preserved them for each other has unfitted them for experience? Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. the core of it, and he kind of explains, 
Baldwin explores this idea of masculinity and manhood through his fiction and nonfiction over the years, and I think it's someone's mm -hmm. dissertation project, I really do. Um, mm -hmm. There's another essay called Here Be Dragons, which is more um, suited for our, our point today, and it's this idea that um, masculinity is um, it's an ideal that doesn't that can't you can't grow in it you know you can't <laughs> develop and you can't move and so when I was thinking when people think about how to be a better father then mm -hmm. maybe what they should look at is why it hurts and so the, the I'm just going to read something very briefly from Here Be Dragons by James Baldwin which is collected in his nonfiction as well as in other um, editions. The idea. I, I just, sorry, I just want to interrupt really quickly just to make sure I nail this down for myself and for listeners. When you say here be dragons, you mean dragons is in the mythical fire breathing creature, right? Absolutely. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, the American idea of sexuality appears to be rooted in the American idea of masculinity. The idea may not be the precise word, for the idea of one's sexuality can only be can only, with great violence, be divorced or distanced from the idea of the self. Yet something resembling this rupture has certainly occurred and is occurring in American life. And violence has been the American daily bread since we have heard of America. I'll skip down to a last part of it, which, or another part of it, which is, the American ideal, then, of sexuality seems to be rooted in the American ideal of masculinity. This idea has created cowboys and Indians, good guys and bad guys, punks and studs, tough guys and softies, butch and faggot, black and white. It is an idea so paralytically infantile that it is virtually forbidden as an, as an unpatriotic act that the American boy evolve into the complexity of manhood. So taking Baldwin's take on it and my own thoughts about this whole Innocence Project is that it doesn't... How do you build fathers out of this 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 mass of uh, neurosis? How do you do that? Mm. And I think it goes to pain. Why does it hurt? And so it's something I'm floating right now and just thinking about, but I'd be interested in seeing what you guys have to say about it. Mm. Uh, so I had, uh, I don't know that I can tease out uh, the various thoughts I had in response to that. One, Practically speaking, I think that when habits of mind become so entrenched, it's difficult to tease out their root. And so I don't know that men that injure their sons and intimates would even identify themselves as being in pain. Um, and I, I think it the pain gets covered over uh, at such a young age and there's such a deep habit uh, of of using that strategy, whether it become anger or outrage or whatever it may be, that 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 moment, that reflex of pain isn't even sensed by the person. Mm. Uh, and and I don't, you know, this was, I, I thought a lot about what Seth, you know, Seth pushing back last week or a couple weeks ago on, um, you know, that he, you know, he did the mixing and the baking and that, mm -hmm. um, you know, we of course, you know, the expansion of our sympathies is is an unqualified good, but there are limits, and mm -hmm. there are uh, there are acts, there are choices, there are people uh, that we can't reach with our sympathies uh, to influence their actions. Mm -hmm. And I basically think I agree with that. Um, even even though you know I am kind of perpetually hopeful 
in the possibility of that expansion because mm-hmm. you can never know what's what reality someone might wake up to. And you never know. Like I was th- speaking of terrible fathers. Apparently, Steve Jobs was just an yeah. absolute piece of shit. Apparently, yeah. um, the that uh, the bio- the autobiography or the biography. I'm sorry, um, uh, Lisa Jobs, right? His daughter mm-hmm. came out, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and some of the stuff that he did to her, just oh, oh my God, awful. I mean, there's really no reason to recount it here. Um, but it's but the point. I the reason I bring it up is because at the end of his life, apparently she said he kind of broke down and in tears and said you didn't deserve anything that happened to you and her stepmom said i don't believe in deathbed conversions mm-hmm. um well the thing is the thing is i do believe in deathbed conversions i do believe that i do believe that the the sheer i think that we as and i'll kick it back uh, uh, because i'm i'm not going to be able to segue to some of the other thoughts i had on what you said Stephen. but okay. um I, i'll just finish out this thought uh, i think that as human beings men and women we have evolved and are calibrated to be somewhat accurate instruments of the world that surrounds us, the social world and the environment that surrounds us. Mm-hmm. And that there are co- there is a collective injury that happens when you have denied that reality over such a long period of time hmm. that the, the imminence of death can bring us to some kind of realization of the pain that we have caused other people uh, and the wrong that we have uh, that we have waged against others. So anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it back to, uh, to you guys. But So I want to say a couple of things, um, <clears throat> and I want to give a real-world example from my own life. So just to kind of round things up, one of the things that Stephen has suggested in a very considered response to both Baldwin and that that question of what to do if you don't have the tools is he suggested a kind of, the way I read it, is a therapeutic response. So when the thing happens with the father, someone somewhere in his life says to him, where's the pain, where does it hurt, why does it hurt, right? And you're saying, Travis, well, that therapeutic response may not be enough. Like, it, it may, because they may not even, the person, the father may not even have access to himself enough to be, he's not self-aware enough. He's right. so embedded in the masculinity so deeply, the masculinity that, that, that Baldwin, I think, accurately describes as kind of, well, toxic, right? Like, um, 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 uh, and, and the kind of place from which we, we understand and sort of put ourselves on a continuum of sexuality. Like, that person isn't able to do that work, even if they're given the opportunity in a sort of therapeutic situation, which could be just a cup of coffee with an aunt, right? She sits mm-hmm. him down, she says, where does it hurt? And he can't, and he can't come up with an answer. So mm-hmm. my question is, and I, and, and I want to, I'm asking the same question essentially, but in a different way, using my own um, experience with my father, was I remember, and I told you this story already, Travis, that sometime when I was like six or seven, I, I wasn't any older than, than than eight, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I was in New York and my, my, you know, my parents had emigrated to New York City, in the North Bronx from Jamaica. And there was some day I was sitting, I think I was sitting either on my father's lap or very close to him. And he's, he has, my father has very heavy brows. Um, mm-hmm. my, my face is somewhat different. Um, he has very heavy, uh, 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 a very heavy, heavy, prominent forehead. And I was reaching up to just touch it, to just kind of trace 
the ridges on his face. Um, just because I think as a child, I was just curious. I wanted to know my father in that way. And it's a very sort of intimate gesture, you know, reaching to mm-hmm. touch another man's face. And he slapped my hand away and he hit me in the head with his knuckles. And I started to cry. And my mother, um, my mother turned to him and said, why would you hit the child like that? And I don't remember what my father said, but he said he made a gesture. He made a sound. He made a some sort of, he conveyed that it was uncomfortable for him to have me touch him like that. Um, and, and, And my question is, like, if someone had come to him in that moment and said, Mr. Rodney, where's the pain? What, what would cause you to do that? Would he be able to say an answer? And my, my, my guess, my educated guess, knowing my father, is that he wouldn't be able to. I mean, maybe given enough time, maybe enough in being asked that question enough times, mm-hmm. maybe. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 I want to say this too. In the podcast, in the first uh, iteration of this, I started off by describing my father as a narcissistic asshole. And I wanted to be clear with people why I said that. And part of the reason why I said that is precisely these kinds of things that happened to me when I was a child. That he was physically abusive with me. He was angry most of the time. Mm -hmm. And he took out that anger a lot on me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the world really did revolve around him. So I I, I don't know when I asked the question, I think, or rather I don't know what would have sort of interrupted that circuit. I don't know what would mm-hmm. have, what could have, what could have intervened to, to get him to like look at himself and see that he was actually right. in pain. And clearly he was. I mean, that's the story I told the last time, um, uh, in, indicated his own father, his own relationship with his own father was awful. Just, mm-hmm. just, he was wounded, deeply wounded by that. Um, so, and, 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 and to round this off, I, you know, there may be deathbed confessions that are really redemptive in some way, which is what I think you were saying, Travis. Um, but you, you can follow up on that. Maybe not redemptive, but, but yeah, they, thank you. But That's I, I don't necessarily think rede- redeemable. No, or right, redemptive, right. No, no, but, but, but but they're at least but they're at least authentic. A, um, yes, they're authentic, at least a yeah. moment where that person comes to understand his or her own. Uh, no, his own uh, uh, account. He, he he becomes accountable to himself. Mm-hmm. for what he's done. Mm-hmm. My question then is, but so what? Mm-hmm. So because mm-hmm. that, that the child is still injured, right? The sti- mm-hmm. the child still has to like put him or herself together because the deathbed confession is worthwhile to the person who's dying, but is it worthwhile mm-hmm. to us? Mm-hmm. I think so. I definitely think so. Um I also feel like I want to challenge this idea of a deathbed con- confession or conversion um mm-hmm. with a an acknowledgement or mm-hmm. a breath or some kind of Fuller thing because I'm sure Steve Jobs in our example carried this with him. I'm sure he did. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there was mm-hmm. some recognition of it in his own mind. But at the same time, this whole idea of a conversion. No, I just feel like he just he reckoning with his own um, mortality. Finally, let this thing go. He breathed. He <sighs> almost like you know, like a weight. You know, I'm imagining all this, but. I do think the work is critical. And I want to say, I want to quote something that you said, Travis, about this idea 
that you're perpetually hopeful for that experience, mm-hmm. right? Which mm-hmm. I think is the only mm-hmm. reason why, <laughs> one of the reasons why I write and think for my own benefit, but also for thinking about putting it out there, putting it out on platforms, different platforms, that it's not only possible to change. I mean, this is life or death, really, for a lot of people, you know. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. So, I mean, what it's it's really important that we think more about the possibility as opposed to the probability of someone not changing. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. So I, I mean that the distinction that you draw between uh, possibility and probability, I think is a good one. It's probably a space I live in most of the time. Uh, I think that is, uh, that's how I try to move through the world in dealing with people that are difficult to deal with is, you know, possibility as opposed to probability. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, um, I don't, I don't necessarily know that that where that's where wisdom uh, rests because you can't if if you move through the world always thinking of the possibility. I mean that essentially makes you naive. Oh, um, I disagree and, with and, that. And, and what was that? Were you going to say something? I completely disagree with that. <laughs> uh, okay, no, please. Okay, so how, so so if if you always if you always see if you always um, move in a space of what might happen, whether good or bad, it seems to me that you run the risk of not being sufficiently grounded in reality. Hmm. So you know, it's. So I, to give a very dark example, mm. um, uh, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. He was shot dead, right? I mean, just bam, gone. You know, the Civil War was fought and then Reconstruction rolled it all back uh, and in, in, some, in some cases made it worse. Um, I, I think th- that I don't want to live without possibility, um, but to but to not but to not live in the reality of prop what I would call and you might push back on that what I would call the reality of probability uh, is um, just a problem. I, I won't I won't say more than that. I just I think it's a problem. I um, as being uh, relentlessly and um, just by default, I'm optimistic and mm-hmm. and live in the possible. I think I, I speak for myself that I think I'm still very intellectually curious and interested and respect science and respect you know probability and all those things. Mm. And I think those things are a jumping off point for things that can happen that mm-hmm. that that the statistics say, you know, it makes me think of how excited people are about the blue wave right now. Oh, the blue wave, mm-hmm. the blue wave, and I go, um, 2016. Everyone, do you remember this? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, there's some evidence there that we might be, mm. but I, I see. Yeah, don't get it twisted. <laughs> don't get it twisted. <laughs> but I, I like holding all the possibilities without mm-hmm. being um, constrained to one or the other. Do you know? Um, because I think I would be immobile as a person or as a thinker if I didn't think right. that there was something beyond the thing that we call reality or something that we right. call this is just how it is. This is just how it is. And um, that's just an impulse. That's just ever since yeah. I was a kid, it was just an impulse. So I, I respect all kinds of ways of thinking about it. But I don't think it makes you naive. I think 
for me, it, it excites me and it makes me more intellectually curious. Hmm. Yeah. And loving. I, I, Excuse I was me. Th- and loving. I, I, no, no, no. I, no, I agree with that. I actually, but this allows me to, to, to weave in an anecdote that I had, that occurred to me two days ago that I wanted to be able to share if it worked in itself into the conversation. I wasn't sure if it would, but mm-hmm. to, to, to illustrate, um, the enormous weight of of what I will just kind of eg as probability, i.e. history, i.e. culture, i.e. sort of the collective circumstances we are born into. Right. That's what I would. That's what I'm calling probability mm-hmm. and possibility. Meaning, you know, this the kind of space that we create here on the podcast to try and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. actually come into some sort of uh, intimacy with one another's thoughts and and share that with people. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I was driving near my house. And uh, I passed a uh, a junk van, like like you know, get rid of your junk. It was like uh, there's an advertisement on the side of it, mm-hmm. um, and it was uh, and it was uh, uh, college uh, college boys junk removal. It was the name of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the immediate thought, like like in that nanosecond before my critical reflective consciousness came came back in that nanosecond when I saw college, you know, college uh, men junk removal, I thought of a white male Mm. in that nanosecond before, (laughs) before like all of the years of reflection and reading and conversation and training could come back to, could come into it now. And I have those tools, right? I can come back and go like, whoa, that was kind of a really stupid racist thought that just flitted through my head. Right. So, but, but, but there it is. Right. right. I mean, and that, that is to me, that is the weight of probability and how, and the enormous amount of effort it takes to overcome that with imagination uh-huh. um, and, and and possibility um, mm-hmm. is uh, shouldn't be underestimated. Oh no! Okay, not at all. okay, but I mean, fair enough. But I want to. I kind of want to. I want to stay on this 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 track we started out on. So, and 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 try to pin down some answers to that initial question. So, so far, what we're saying is that, okay, we all have the tools to think in this space of possibility, clearly, mm-hmm. because we're doing the podcast, right? And mm-hmm. that's, and that's as, as Travis pointed out, this is precisely where this thing exists. Mm-hmm. Great. And we all have a sense of like how we got here, um, uh, the kind of energy and, well, actually, to be, to be clearer, the kind of curiosity the kind of self-awareness, the kind of sense uh, that we're all unfinished projects and we want to keep working on them through, through the, throughout the rest of our lives. Like, we all know that these are the tools that to a great extent got us to where we are today, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Travis, Stephen, me, this is what we did. This is this is who we are. These are the tools that we have at our disposal, and a few other things, you know, family infrastructure and good friendships, la la la. Right. But okay, so we so let's assume that our fathers, for the most part, did not have access access to those things, right? No, clearly, I know, no, given what both of you have said to me, like both your fathers did not come from circumstances where they had. I would, I would, I would guess like 
one, only one or two of those things I just mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. They may have had an, inter- an, an, an innate curiosity or, an, or a drive to like be better in the world, um, but they didn't have a lot of family infrastructure, not great friendship, la, la, la. Mm-hmm. Um, and my question again is, okay, so you lack all those things, right? How do you get to the point, right? And when do you get to the point? I mean, is it, is it when your, is it when your son is just born? Is it when he's 10? Is it when he's 20 and you deal with him as, as you would to another, as you mm-hmm. would with another adult that you begin to see, oh, oh, I see how you formed. And I can see my influence on that thing that you become. Oh, that's who I am as a father. Yeah, damn. Is it, does it happen then? <laughs> right. It could. It certainly could. And so the very brief example I'll give is that, and this is all what I'm imagining. So Timothy Dwight, who recently put on a one-man show at the um, oh, D- uh, uh, Dixon Place, and his one-man show was mm. called Neptune. And it's based on the idea that people who are hard to love, the HTLs, need to go find a place called Neptune to be loved, right? Mm. And in the play, mm. in the one-man show, his family plays characters. You know, they're not exact, mm. you know, lines to the characters. But one, he he's talking to his father. His father says, I wish, I blame myself when you became HIV positive. And he, you know, it was an mm. interesting sort of rich um, characterization. You know, he's playing all mm-hmm. these different parts. The first night he was, he gave the show, his father came to the show and he didn't know if he'd come on time. And so when he's thanking everybody at the end of the show, he goes, I also want to thank my father. Is he in the audience? And his father goes, I'm here, son. I'm here. I'm here. Mm-hmm. And in the postmortem mm-hmm. conversation that Timothy and I had about it, you know, the place gets quiet. And I love to imagine the very thing mm-hmm. that we're talking about, the sight of possibility mm-hmm. of somebody seeing mm-hmm. their son, who's, who I imagine is radically different. You know, these are two different people, could mm-hmm. see some mm-hmm. of the things that his son is going through and maybe change happens there. Do you know? So I got to say that's a world full of one-man shows because yeah, there's yeah. a lot there's a lot of work that has to be done <laughs> so i mean but that's I, just I, one slight you know <laughs> i may, honestly i th- i basically feel like we're kind of on the same page with with the stuff yeah. is, uh, <laughs> i mean i you know may may those shows increase may that work continue I I want to be engaged in that work. Uh, mm-hmm. Steph and I, in an early podcast, kind of talked about that in relation to some of the work of Ta-Nehisi Coates and um, mm-hmm. uh, critical of that. I was I was critical of that, but um, you know, I I don't want to rest on cynicism. I I find I think it's a kind of weakness. Uh, I see at least in myself, I see it as a kind of weakness. Like I don't I don't I don't want to live in that space. I don't want to teach my sons to live in that space. I want to to make them feel like they have a responsibility to go out and and be better human beings for themselves and the people around them. Um, and, uh, oh, my God, is the world uh, difficult and hard to bear. And uh, Well, when you, know, you go wide just, like that, yeah, but you go local, and then you see what you can do locally. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, you live, in, you live in New York. That's easy for you to say. Well, well, to, the, well, to, the, well to that to that point, I mean, so we so we don't end on a, well, I don't particularly want to end on a cynical note either. And I'm not sure I, I'm fully convinced I can end on a positive one. I mean, I want to kind of end with a question, which is I, I had, so intermittently um, throughout the years, my father and I have 
fallen out of touch. Or I should say I've not fallen. That's that's wishy-washy. I have refused to deal with him. I have not mm-hmm. made any contact with him for several years at a time mm-hmm. because he has treated me the way he has. And uh, recently, I think it was a, two weeks ago, maybe a week and a half ago, he reached out to me again after several years. I, I came back from London in 2011. And at the time, my mother would often visit the house I grew up in. Uh, she lives in Jamaica, but she would often come back and visit mm-hmm. um, to get very, various things and, 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 and spend a little bit of time in New York. She no longer does that. Anyway, I would see her at that house. And I ran into my father once, and he asked me what I was doing, la la. And I really just didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to deal with him at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, look, if you want to get in touch with me, if you want to actually pick back up where we left off, my suggestion is you find a therapist, you arrange a time for us to sit down with that therapist together, and we can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, of course, did nothing about that for like six years, like mm-hmm. nothing. Like I, I, I had to call him once to, to see about making repairs on my mother's house in Jamaica. Um, I think he may have tried to call. Actually, he may have called me once during that six years and I hung up on him. Um, and then he called me again like two weeks ago and he, and he said, well, I want to reach out. And I said, why? And he said, well, I want to fathers give this father son thing a try. Something like that. Like, uh, you know, want to be father mm-hmm. and son. Mind you. One of the last conversations I'd had before I left for London was that he was essentially him thinking that I was gay because I have gay friends, Lawrence mm-hmm. and, and Mingus. Well, yeah, and he, obviously, and he, therefore. Right, I mean, right, it must be, right? <laughs> right. Um, he said to me that if I ever find out that you're gay, then you don't have a father and I don't have a son. And I was like, oh, really? Okay, that's fine. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, good, yeah, yeah. Good. He's, he's that kind of person. Yeah. I mean, it's, like I said, narcissistic asshole. Good luck to you, sir. But, right. Yeah. But and good day he, to you, so sir. He, what? And good day to you, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so he reaches out and he says, Father, I'm father. And I said, well, why now? And I, I said, I, I just, I need to know. I, I don't understand this. Like, why now? He's like, well, why now? Why are you asking that? Because I don't understand this. You had years. You had mm-hmm. years to reach out to me. And you do. Why now? What? That's a reasonable question to ask. I just don't understand it. And I, what I realized... And then he started to go off and I hung up on him again. I realize <laughs> that one of the things that I'm really unwilling to do at this mm-hmm. point in my life, mm-hmm. as much as I understand that forgiveness is really crucial to being able to move past this relationship, which is ultimately never going to give me the things I wanted from my father. Mm-hmm. I still, what I want to hear from him is some sort of acknowledgement or rather rather, what i realize is that for me to move forward with any sort of real conversation with this person Mm -hmm. i need to have baseline i need to have an acknowledgement of there being something fucked up like you Mm -hmm. were a shitty father like i need Mm -hmm. that acknowledgement i need or i need Mm -hmm. or at least some sense of here here's an opportunity to work on something and i'm actually going to I don't even understand where you're coming from necessarily, but I'm going to do the work to meet you on the ground that you've laid out mm-hmm. as being the place where we need to meet. So we mm-hmm. need to meet in a therapist's office. Okay. I'm willing to do that. Like, I don't even, like, even if you weren't able to say to me, I realize I made some mistakes, or whatever, but at least say, I can meet you here. 
So, Seth, can I can I respond to that with with the possible as opposed to the probable? Please do. Um, what about just asking him for that and saying, if you want to have a conversation like this, I need you to acknowledge uh, how difficult it was to grow up with you, and I need to have that conversation in front of a professional and see what he comes back with. Okay, I can do that. I can do that. I can try. Probably, I can probably he'll come back with some shit. Right. <laughs> but yeah. but you never know. Yeah. But you never know. But and to be and to be and to be completely fair and honest with myself, I don't even know if at this point in my life I need that relationship. Like what 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 I mean to be transactional and and mercenary mer, and a kind of mercenary emotional capitalist about it. What the fuck do I get out of this? Like what is what is the point of this now? Mm, but you're never just one thing, Seth. You're several different yeah. boys, you're several yeah. different men and you know, maybe somewhere inside of you that's not coming to your consciousness at the moment that would really like to have that relationship, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, and maybe you got that phone call the week before you proposed the podcast on fathers. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. clearly there, there's some clearly there's some emotional uh, potency there still. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course. I mean, it was. Uh, it's 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 one of those things that's. It's one of my relationship with my father is one of those. Like so, we all so we began the conversation a couple of weeks ago talking about how fathers are often wounded. They're also they're often as as Stephen kind of alluded to at the top of this uh, session. Where's the pain? Like this pain in me around my father. Clearly, like it's just it's it's hard. It's it's not. I mean, it it, it it's it's it's. Part of who I am was made, was forged in those formative years, dealing mm-hmm. with a father who was constantly angry. And it mm-hmm. took me probably close to 40 years to figure out that I was super angry all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. And it's only been in the last few years with therapy and, and the help of good friends and, and um, good girlfriends, actually, that I've been able to get a hold of that. So... Yeah, um, I'll take your advice. I'll try it. I'll reach out. I see what happens. All right. Well, maybe we'll have to have a father's part three if that goes off. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Stephen, do you want to do you want to close us out? No, I think what Seth said is the closer. <laughs> it really is. All right. Thank you for that, Seth. That was really um, yeah. Thank uh, you guys. Thoughtful. Yeah. I appreciate the conversation. Thank you for listening. Uh, and Stephen, thank you. I noticed you you advertise the podcast on your Facebook feed, which I appreciate. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, so uh, thank yeah. you, everyone, for listening. Um, the podcast will be posted on Monday at 10 a.m. and will be posted on Monday at 10 a.m. Uh, going forward. Uh, so you can pick it up on SoundCloud uh, and we'll be posting it on iTunes uh, towards the end of the month. Uh, you can also find it on theamericanage.org. Uh, thanks, uh, Seth and Stephen. And thank I'll, you. And uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Great talk. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.